uh, he's going to be spending probably the better part of two to three months in the States visiting about four states uh, and some of their people. And what I love is that um, the Burmese live in community. So um, most of them are living with sort of hourly wage jobs. Uh, but when someone's pastor or someone's relative comes, they cobble together enough money and they all pitch in to bring them over and then they visit the states. And um, it's sort of like sending out Paul on a missionary journey to see how the believers are doing. It, it, it's a beautiful picture. So your faith inspires us uh, because it is a living faith because there is no other option. Uh, and so it's a beautiful thing. Okay, well, I have uh, a series that we've been going through, and it's, it's called uh, <clears throat> Here and Now, because what we're talking about is the kingdom of heaven as not something as what you experience when you die, but also something you experience here and now. So we have this idea that, oh, it only, you just have to wait till Jesus comes back or you die, and then it just gets better, except Jesus came with this really big announcement, and he says the kingdom of God is a present reality. He says it's here and now. So that's kind of the overall context, but before I get into the specific thing, and Jesus made lots of comparisons, he uses lots of metaphors to say what the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, it's like if you were talking to your, your children uh, and trying to explain to them what heaven is like, Jesus was trying to explain it the same way. And so he used common and everyday metaphors. One of those that he talked about was about a wedding invitation. And before I get into that parable, I want to ask you, have you ever been excited about something and then, you only, and then you showed up and you realized other people weren't as excited about it as you? Have you ever shown up to a movie thinking it's going to be really crowded and then you showed up to the theater and there's like six people in the theater and you're like, am I not, in, like, am I not cool? Like, do I like things that most people don't like? Or have you ever thought, um, okay, I'm going to get really dressed up for this costume party and then other people didn't get as dressed up and you're like, I went to a party with not that fun people. Uh, clearly, I've got the fun gene and everyone else is missing it. There is always this sort of predicament, this kind of situation that happens when an invitation is cast, when an, uh, when an opportunity presents itself about how we respond. Sometimes, let's be honest, we don't respond enthusiastically. Some people in here are not good at texting back. Some people aren't here about RSVPing when like a tribe gathering is happening. Um, some people uh, go through the, and, and like, well, if nothing else better, I'll show up. The question is always, what do we do with the invitation? And then we're kind of saddled with this idea of um, when I show up, what will it be like? When I show up, who else will have responded? When I come, if I come, how should I dress? This are, these are the important questions for where we're headed tonight. But to get started with that, I wanted to walk you through uh, maybe a way to set the table. And I've asked for some help with this. There was this song back in 1979 that came out. How many have ever heard of the Pina Colada song? 
The Pina Colada song, do you know anything about the Pina Colada song? It's been in several movies. It's been in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's been in Grown Ups. It's been in Shrek. We all hear the song, but the song is a very pointed invitation. And I've asked, as sort of a karaoke worship style, for us to illustrate what this invitation was all about. And maybe we can do some group discovery. Paul and Mandy, come on up here and join. Let's roll tape on that. Um, give some encouragement. And we're all going to break it on down. When we get to the chorus, turn me up, because um, everyone wants to hear me sing. Only here at Mission Hills Church, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, there's this really crazy thing with this familiar song that we've been singing. For years and years, you hear that and you're like, oh, that's a party song. Actually, it's a great tragedy. It's a man who's tired of his marriage. It's a man who's sitting in bed and he takes out a classified ad and he writes, if you like these things, would you respond at the bar O'Malley's? And who responds but his wife? She responds to the invitation and he says, I never knew. I never knew. And I think that's the picture that God is painting for us. Here I go. Ready? I'm going to segue this in to the great invitation. Is that we're going through our existence. We're going through life with this sort of survival mode to sort of get by, but God's inviting us to something better and we're kind of ho-hum or we're kind of surrounding ourselves and protecting ourselves and he's casting this vision for something better that's been there all along. There is this beautiful parable that he tells in Matthew 22. If you have your Bibles, open up the app, open up your Bibles to Matthew 22. And I want to look at a passage tonight because it talks about an invitation. And the invitation isn't simply what have you done with the invitation. It's how are you stewarding the invitation? Because I think we can all relate to an invitation that we ignored. I think we can all relate to an invitation that we got excited about and maybe disappointed by. I think we can all relate to saying yes to an invitation and, and not being disappointed. And this is where we find ourselves in this parable of the wedding banquet, this great feast that unfolds. And it says this, Jesus again spoke to them. Remember, we're talking about what is heaven on earth like? Jesus taking the people around him and he says, well, it's like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sent out his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused. Then he sent out some more servants. And he said, tell those who have been invited and have, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and they went off. One to the field, another to his business, another to Little League, another one to like soccer camp, another one to whatever, uh, the river walk and say, whatever, it's all good, right? The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and he killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers, and he burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. What is this telling us about heaven is that while all are aggressively pursued, 
not all respond. And so why are some not at the table? Who's invited? God is a relentlessly hospitable God who never withdraws the invitation. But it's our response to the invitation. So the question is, again, what are we doing with the invitation of God? God invites us to draw near. God invites us to give our whole lives. God invites us to trust us with our finances, with our abuse, with our past, with our regrets, with our future. And he says, what are you doing with my invitation to come and trust and live a life of wholeness? But then it goes on. He says, the invitation isn't just to an event or make a decision, but it's to a new way of living. It's not to just come and say, yeah, I made it, I showed up. But what he's inviting, like, it's like more like a new way of living, like a change in your marital status. It's like saying, no, I don't live for me anymore, I live for us. That change in pronoun that says, I have to think about this other person in my life. And the parable also shows that it's not just our role as guests. He's looking for us to steward the idea of inviting others. How have you responded to the invitation? How have you extended the invitation? This is what the parable is all about. Is that water in there? Can I have some of that? Open it up. <coughs> Sorry, this has, been, this has been that week where I'm just like hacking and coughing. Uh, and so a wedding feast uh, is this reference that every Jewish person would have understood. You have to understand the kind of the layers of imagery. When Jesus starts talking about a parable of a wedding, every Jewish mind would have clicked on to what one event? Sinai and the Ten Commandments. When Moses stood up with the two tablets, it was the picture of marriage of God to his people. And so when Jesus starts talking about a story that has to do with a wedding, they would have immediately understood that we are the bridegroom of God. We are in this covenant relationship, <coughs> excuse me, with God. And the picture that he invites people into is, is that now he's saying instead he expands the definition of covenant. The Jews to this point had been thinking, oh, one nation under God. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is one nation under creation. This is one nation overall. In fact, all are invited to this party. All are welcome at this table. I just need something to put out the fire. Thank you. Thank you. And so Jesus illustrates this point that these kind of terribly unlovable people, that makes everyone nervous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, these terribly unlovable people, these people who are on the fringes, these people who are not in the social status are now invited to the wedding table. And he says what he's painting a picture of is that the kingdom of heaven will not look uniform. It will not look like people just like me. It will not be a bunch of people who are educated like me or have a net worth like me. He says, when the kingdom of heaven comes, you'll know it because it looks a lot different than yourself. 
This is the beautiful picture of God's covenant relationship. And when we want to know what heaven looks like, it's when people from diverse backgrounds can come and worship together. It's when people from different experiences can come together, whether it be economically or ethnically, can come together and actually find something that they have in common find something that they can find and find fellowship in. Even if English becomes a second language, even if we have to overcome the hurdle, there can be something beautiful because of God's spirit imparting on it. This is heaven on earth. And the question is always, what have we done in responding to that invitation to, to cast the net far and wide? How have we responded and yielded our lives to say, oh, Church, heaven is going to look different than people just like me. In fact, I'd even go a step further. It's going to look different than even the people in my own neighborhood. Because a lot of the people in my own neighborhood look a lot like me. And so he's casting the net far and wide. It's a very pointed illustration of what Jesus is saying. Keep in mind, there's only like 28 chapters in Matthew. This is chapter 22. So as he's getting to the end of it, and he's trying to convince the Jewish people that it's not just one nation under Israel, it's one nation over creation. And I'm inviting you, even the least of you, even the most unlovable of you, even the convicts among you, even the addicts among you, find fellowship. Even the people who are on welfare, even the people who come from different backgrounds, they will be at my banquet table. This is the picture of heaven on earth. So there's something about marriage customs that I think we miss. Let me just explain this. Some of you might be familiar about what marriage customs look like in Judaism because it looks a lot <clears throat> uh, different than what it does today. But there's some symbols that are parallels. So in ancient Israel, during Jesus' time, when some young man and some young woman were to be engaged, what would happen is normally they might be in a neighboring village. But the two fathers would get together and they would begin to negotiate what was called a bride price. The bride price would be sealed and they wouldn't shake hands on the deal. And it wasn't a contract where you sign your name like we would do in a business transaction. What they would do is they would share a cup of wine together. There was an exchange that said the way they sealed it was through a common cup. I drink, you drink, and it's done. And at that point, once the cup was arranged, the, the, the son would go back to his village and the daughter would go to her village. Now, the son would say, listen, I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to build on to his house. I'm preparing a place for you at my father's house. Does that sound familiar? And so he would go on and build an addition. Sometimes it would be an upper room. Sometimes it would be an addition alongside. But there was a community that the bride was going to be invited into. But it was only until the father gave permission that said, oh, this place is ready. Now the bride would go back to her village and she would start preparing because you know what she was known as at that point? the one who was bought with a price. The bride price had been paid for her and she would begin a preparation of what it would mean to be a, a, a domestic leader, a spiritual leader in this new arrangement as she moved outside of her parents' shelter that they move into this new house to start a new life together. And she didn't know 
the time or the hour in which her husband, her, her fiance would come. But she would know that when the shofar, the horn would blow, the wedding processional would begin, and, the, and it was time to be wed, and he would come and take it back. But he couldn't only come when the father gave permission. This is the picture that we have of the bride and the bridegroom. This is what we have when Jesus comes to us and says, I'm going to a place to prepare a place for you in advance in my Father's house. And you and I are known as those who have already been bought with a price because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So when Jesus steps up in this analogy and he gives us this picture, this parable of what heaven on earth looks like, what he's really doing is saying, I want to be wed with you. And rather than exchanging rings, he exchanges this cup where he, on the last night, at the last supper, he sits down and he wants to have a marriage with the disciples. And he exchanges the cup. And the disciples would have understood this. All the Israelites would have understood the picture that was being painted for them. And so here, let me just finish up this verse by looking at what he says in, in the latter parts of it. Because it's something interesting that comes up in the last part, in, when it gets to the wedding clothes. When the king came to see the guests, he noticed that there was not, they were not wearing the wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, and get this, does not sound like a gracious host, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're like, hey, I thought this was a gracious, merciful party. But all of a sudden you got all New Testament, but that's Old Testament hellfire and brimstone on me. But the picture is one we need to understand. Uh, and the reference seems really harsh, but kings would sometimes give their um, subjects or the, all the invites, regardless of status, they would give them wedding clothes. Because a wedding was a special event. And you didn't wear your everyday normal work clothes, your dingy clothes. These were bright linen party clothes. And you've been invited and you've actually been provided the right kind of clothing to wear. It's like our Burmese friends dressing up for church. Last Sunday it was like Africa hot and I wore a tie to their apartment so that I could dress the part. And I grew up wearing but we've gotten casual. That's okay. You don't need to wear ties to church. But the point is this. We go to certain events, and do you sometimes walk into an event saying, did they not care about this invite? Do you ever go to a formal affair and someone comes open collar and cowboy boots and jeans and you're like, hey, that's like Texas formal, but this is real formal. This is like everywhere else formal. And so we're like, hey, step up a little bit. I mean, it, 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 we've gotten really casual. What he's responding to is simply that <clears throat> The point is that once we say yes to God's invitation, our lives should be marked different. Our lives should be cleaned up, so to speak. And so the idea is that the world around us dresses in greed. 
The world around us dresses in materialism. The world around us dresses in in judgment uh, and and self-centeredness. But God's provided us with these new garments so that our lives would be marked different by the gift of His Holy Spirit. This is the transformational work of God's Spirit that He wants to do in us, not just on our outside, but work from the inside out. This is the provision of God. And so when we read this parable, it seems like, why is Jesus, why does He seem so mad? Why does He seem so judgmental? No, He's saying, if you've been marked with Christ, your life should look different. Your condition of your heart look different. So we react different than the world reacts. Our lives become a light. Our lives become a testimony of the heart of God. Because we know that God is generous, so we become generous. And God is relentlessly hospitable, so we make room for others. God is worthy of our praise, so we express gratitude. This, the kingdom of God, is more than just a marriage Uh, excuse me, is more than just a wedding event. It's like a marriage. It's a covenant relationship where where we come into relationship with Christ for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. When I understand and when I don't agree, I'm still, I am, I do, I'm all in. This is what he's inviting us into. And so when Jesus, while celebrating the Passover uh, with his disciples, He gathers them together and he holds up this cup. And instead of exchanging like the rings, he holds up this cup and he says, this is the cup of salvation. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. And he was basically saying, I love you. I give my life for you. Will you marry me? And so every time we gather in communion, every time we take the Lord's Supper, what we're receiving is a renewal of some wedding vows from 2,000 years ago. I love you. I want to spend my life with you. Will you marry me? And so every time we drink from this communion cup, this is the new covenant of my blood. God saying, I'm yours. Will you be mine? Tonight, we're going to do communion a little different. Uh, We're going to pass out the elements. Normally, we would just kind of take our rounds and go, but I want to partake together. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And um, we can kind of, kind of, and then um, if Bjorn and uh, Claire, can you guys help uh, pass out our, our, um, our elements today and again as the as the bread and the cup go by we're just going to hold on to them but what do we do when we're holding do we just wait for everyone to get theirs no i think there's a way that we can respond i think communion is always a chance as we renew our vows to the lord we take inventory of our hearts what was this week like did you have a moment in this week where you're like oh my god that was not my finest hour and that's a good time to just come clean to start some level of confession, where we let the Holy Spirit speak to the sort of areas of our lives where where it looked spiritually dingy. And he's invited us to these these sort of wedding clothes where we're called to be set apart. I think it's always helpful when we start to do inventory of our lives spiritually and emotionally. Um, But then it's also a time of remembrance.
and uh, it's a time of, of where we come together and, and we, we think about the broken places of our lives and we match that with the broken places of Christ's life and we find a renewed sense of hope in that. It's also a time of gratitude. My hope is that you can find the attributes of God, know the character and the nature of God, where you can be able to say to him, Lord, thank you for this, thank you. And that humbles you in some way. So as the elements are passed, let's take those, but do that with remembrance, with gratitude, but also with sort of this um, inventory in mind where you let the Holy Spirit of God just minister and speak to you and then you just create a dialogue. We're gonna worship together and I'll come back up and we'll partake together. Let's go. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Become broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Oh, wanderer, come You're not too far. And all those who've strayed Come sit at the table Come taste the grace There's a rest for the weary Rest that endures Earth has no sorrow That heaven can cure Earth has no sorrow That heaven can cure Lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Oh, under come home, you're not too far. Lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are, come as you are, lay down his arms, and come as you are. joy for the morning oh sinner be still earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal 
Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. Lay down your burden, lay down your shame. All were broken, lift up your face. You're not too far So lay down your heart Lay down your heart Come as you are Come as you are One of the things I love and don't love about marriage is family is there's just no pretense there's just no faking it and so when we're invited into this marriage with God I'm reminded that there's just no faking it there's just no getting by there's no facade with God he sees he knows and by the way he loves and he cares Jesus said come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest and so I'm gonna invite you to just bow your heads with me and pray and the first thing I would just invite you to do is just to name what might be your biggest doubt or your biggest sense of inadequacy just in a word just God I confess because I'm aware that we come and and we don't come with fine clothes we come with a dinginess we come with a limp we come with a wound we come with a burden we come with skepticism and cynicism. We just need to name that before the Lord. And then I just invite you to say, what is the one thing that in, in all of your despair, you can say, I am most grateful for this. In profound humility, just thank the Lord for one thing that you're the least deserving of, but God has provided. We live in a world that <clears throat> things like it's never ending in terms of what we can have or, or want. And we're never seen to be without need, but yet God sustains us. How has God provided and sustained you thus far? Mm, praise you, Jesus. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he broke this bread and he held it up and says, this is my body and it's been broken for us. And many of us have been broken emotionally or maybe broken financially. Maybe you've been broken uh, <clears throat> uh, mentally and uh, maybe it's intellectually, relationally. However it is, he says, this is my body. I get brokenness. It's been broken for you. Let's take the broken body of Christ together. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And he says, as often as you break of this bread, drink of this cup. For this, this cup represents new life. This is the new covenant. My blood covers all else. It erases your past. Your sins are no more. Your doubts can be made whole. Your regrets can be restored. 
And he says, I give you my body and my blood because new life is possible. So as often as you break of this bread, drink of this cup and do this in remembrance of me, let's drink this cup together. Oh, restore our souls. Heavenly Father, in your graciousness, help us to be stewards of your personal invite. Our names on the envelope. You invited us to sit at the table with you. You have a name card, a place setting prepared for us in this heavenly banquet. And so I give you praise that I get to sit at that seat with you. I don't deserve to be at that table but you invite us into that. You invite me to sit in your presence. But Lord, I also am aware that there's empty chairs, and so I pray that I would be found as a faithful steward of, of the broken lives around me and the empty chairs next to me so that I could be responsible with ushering in your heaven on earth. We thank you that eternity has already begun and heaven can come crashing into earth even now. So we give you praise. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done in Austin as it is in heaven, in our homes as it is in heaven, and in our hearts as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing together in praise and worship.